Welcome to Bible Center Church, and thank you for joining us for this week's podcast. We pray the Lord speaks to you as you hear His Word today. Welcome back, Bible Center family. It's so good to have you here. Those of you who are with us in person, for those of you who are joining us online or on TV, it's great to have you with us as well. Uh, I love seeing your faces. I love uh, the notes and back and forth throughout the week. If you're new to us, I'm Matt. I'm the lead pastor. I would love to meet you right after the service. I'll be down front. It'd be an honor to pray with you uh, or answer any questions that you may have. I want to start today by asking you to raise your hand if you are a veteran. For the men and women in our room who is a veteran, would you raise your hand? If you're a veteran, okay. You know, those of you who've been around for a while know my little secret. Uh, If you have your hand raised, please stand. Go ahead and stand if you have your hand raised. There we go. Let's thank God for them. I want to personally invite you and all of you to this uh, Thursday. We have our Veterans Day program at Bible Center School. I'd love to have you be there. Uh, We'll have one, I believe, at 8.30 and then one at 9.30. Uh, It's in the old uh, auditorium down at Bible Center School. It's been completely renovated. It is beautiful. If you've not been down there recently, you're going to want to go uh, check it out. This Thursday, Veterans Day, anybody uh, is welcome. I want to start today by, uh, again, telling you what I typically tell you in most of my sermons, and that is uh, today's message is primarily for Jesus followers. Uh, The Lord has called the local church to be a place where we are equipped to go out into the world and win our neighbors and friends to Christ. And so if you're here today and you're not yet a follower of Jesus, this may feel a lot like a family conversation, uh, but I want you to know we're glad you're here too. We want this to be a safe place where you can ask questions, bring your doubts, bring your fears. And at the end of my message today, I'll be uh, given the gospel, the good news of Jesus about how you can become a Jesus follower as well. Uh, But we're glad you're here. Today, I want to tell the story of one of the most heroic POW escapes in all of World War II. It was about March of 1944, which was one year after our church was founded, kind of hard to think about, uh, that there were 76 Allied airmen who were able to escape from one of the most controlled, uh, secure, supposedly, prison camps in all of Nazi-controlled Germany. The 1963 film, The Great Escape, starring Steve McQueen, was about this particular escape. So if you've seen that movie, you have a little bit of familiarity with it. The camp was situated about 100 miles from Berlin, and uh, there were hundreds. At one time, there were even thousands of Allied uh, airmen held captive there. And the reason they used this camp so much is because they said it was impregnable. It was impossible to escape. It was impossible, they thought, to escape for two reasons. One, the dirt underneath was very sandy, and so it was hard to tunnel out uh, without the tunnel collapsing. The second reason that it was, they thought it was impossible to escape was because this particular camp used seismograph technology. Uh, the Nazis had microphones situated around the camp, and so if there was any digging, they thought they would be able to detect it. And so the Allies soldiers had a plan. They were going to dig three, in their own words, bloody deep long tunnels, and one will succeed. Well, the first tunnel failed. The second tunnel failed, but the third tunnel finally succeeded. Tunnel three was dug straight down 30 feet deep, and the reason they went so deep was that hopefully to get below some of the seismograph microphones. 
It stretched 336 feet in length. That's longer than a football field out under the fence to the edge of camp. Near that elbow that you see here on the screen, they carved out two rooms. One of the rooms was an air pump. They were able to steal from the Nazis and smuggle it down the tunnel so they could pump air into the tunnel and breathe while they dug. The other was a workshop, and they had names for all of these rooms. They named it from some of their own towns and places where they were from. Now let's remember for just a moment about who is doing this kind of digging, who is doing this kind of engineering. These aren't 40, 50, 60-year-old engineers. These are 18, 19, 20-year-old young men, right? And so they, were, they had motivation. They were motivated by several things. All of them wanted to get out and taste freedom. But all of them also, many of them had uh, girlfriends. Some of them had wives. Few of them had children. They wanted to get back to their families. But as I read about it this week, they all had one thing in common. They all wanted to live to fight another day, to have their shot at Adolf Hitler, it was kind of neat to read about and think about. They were so motivated to break free from their cages. Well, once construction was complete, the soldiers waited until the first cloudy and moonless night to make their escape. That night came on March 24, 1944. The escapees were equipped with little more than the clothes on their back, rudimentary maps, a few hoarded rations, and homemade compasses. At 8.45 p.m., the first escapee entered the tunnel, and the last escapee, the 76th man, didn't break free until after 5 a.m. You say, why did it take so long? Well, there were several reasons. The tunnel collapsed a couple times throughout the escape. Another reason was, if you've seen the movie, the movie pictures it as being like a spring day, beautiful weather. It was actually the coldest winter on record in Poland. And there was actually so much snow and frost on the other end that it took them about an hour to break free on the other end of the snow and the frost. Unfortunately, the 77th man triggered an alarm, causing everyone to be on high alert. The Gestapo descended on the camp, and within two weeks, 73 of the 76 men were all recaptured. Only three made it back to their home countries. Of the 23 who were, excuse me, of the 76 who were captured, 76 who were uh, escaped and the 73 who were recaptured, 50 of them were ordered by Hitler to be executed. He was so angry that they had found a way out of his impregnable camp. Of the 23 who lived, they went on to tell the story of a new level of sacrifice, of a new level of inspiration among the Allied forces that would eventually go on to win the war. Now, one thing I read this week that I thought was cool, I knew you would like to read this. When the Nazis discovered that they had broken free, they quickly did an inventory of every person and every object in the camp, and this is what they found. They discovered 4,000 missing bedboards from the camp that had been used to prop up the tunnel from collapsing every few feet. They also discovered 52 missing tables, 34 missing chairs, and 76 missing benches that had all been used for tools and ladders by the soldiers. They also found missing 635 mattresses, 192 bed covers, and 161 pillowcases that had been used to encase the tunnel so that the seismograph microphones couldn't pick up the digging as easily. 
They also took inventory and found 1,219 missing knives, 478 missing spoons, 582 missing forks, and 1,400 milk cans that had actually been used as hand-digging tools by the soldiers. The tunnel took one year to complete. And if you've seen the movie Shawshank Redemption, the way they carried out the dirt was very similar. They would put the dirt in their pockets and have holes in their pockets, and they would walk around the camp and let the dirt out of their legs of their pants. Phenomenal to think about. Now, most of us, thankfully, have never been a prisoner of war. But many of us have been a prisoner of unforgiveness. Most of us have never been a prisoner of behind bars and a cage of bars, but we have been in a cage of bitterness. All of us have hurt somebody and all of us have been hurt by somebody. There's not one of us in this room that this message doesn't impact in one way or another. And so here's the title of today's message, Five Keys to Break Free from the Cage of Bitterness. I want this day, today, to be your day of breaking free. Now, why is this message part of our family bundle series? Some, some of you have asked good questions. Why this message? Why that message? Well, some of it goes back to the survey we did back in the summer where we asked you and hundreds of you responded with some of the biggest struggles you're facing as a family. And unforgiveness and bitterness ranked really, really high on the list. But you know, five minutes of looking at the news and looking at media in our country, we can know that we're really bitterness is infecting us from the inside out. And not just the unsaved world, but also the Christian world. I've seen its devastating effects in my own life. And I've seen its devastating effects in our church's life. Talk for five minutes with any of our staff. And our staff can tell you, of course, not naming names, but there are husbands in our church refusing to forgive their wives. Wives refusing to forgive their husbands. Children bitter at their parents. Parents bitter at their children. Parents bitter over what someone else did or didn't do for their children. Unmet expectations abound in the real world. So here's today's big idea. Forgiveness is unlocking the door to set someone free and realizing you were the prisoner. Forgiveness is, is unlocking the door to set someone free and realizing you were the prisoner. Now you can just answer in your own heart, I wonder if you've ever struggled holding bitterness towards somebody else. Many of us have. Maybe you were hurt by someone physically, emotionally, or worse. Maybe your father stepped out on your mother, or maybe your mother stepped out on your father. Maybe someone treated you like yesterday's trash. Maybe someone, even a friend, lied about you, gossiped about you, or spread rumors about you. Sometimes the thing that hurts the worst isn't when somebody does that to you, but it's when a close friend believes them instead of believing you. Maybe a family member stole from you. Maybe a business partner did you dirty. Maybe someone didn't fulfill your expectations. Let me tell you today what this message is not about. This message is not about getting over it. Just get over it, right? Just get over it. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. That's not what this message is about. You see, the Bible tells us in Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and verse 4, there's a time to laugh and a time to cry. Pain is part of the human, uh, human condition. 
we're all going to hurt. Many of our hurts, I would even dare say most of our hurts, will not be resolved until the resurrection. That's why we don't preach a prosperity gospel here at Bible Center. We don't say, come to Jesus and your life will be great. Sometimes you come to Jesus and you get more hurt along the way. But to think the reason we come to Jesus is not because what it's going to do for us in this life. We come to Jesus for who he is. And then we look forward to the day in the resurrection when he will make all things new. There is nothing wrong with any of us that a good resurrection can't fix. There's nothing wrong with any of us that a good resurrection can't fix. It's not wrong to hurt. Some of you are hurting. And today's message is not about stop hurting, but it is wrong to hate. Today's message is not about forgive and forget, right? Forgiveness and trust are two separate things. I can forgive someone of stealing from me, but it doesn't mean I'm going to give them the keys to my car or the keys to my house, right? Trust must be earned. Forgiveness is a gift. Trust must be earned. Today's message is not about just ignoring the law. If you've been hurt by someone in a criminal way, God has given us the law, has given us the government for us to be able to seek justice. Romans chapter 13 is a beautiful example of how God promises that he gives us government to bring swift justice. Thank God for those of you who serve in our legal system in some way. And so again, today's message isn't just forgive that person if they've committed a crime against you. There are times, many times, when the Lord and God's word would call us to seek justice. So that none of that's what today's message is about. Today's message is really not about reconciliation, although that's important. Today's message isn't about having a hard conversation with somebody, although that's important, and we all need them from time to time. Today's message is solely about forgiveness. It's solely about forgiveness. Forgiveness is unlocking the door to set someone free and realizing that you were the prisoner. Now, can we be honest with one another this morning. Like, hopefully we're always honest. You know, when somebody says, let me be honest with you, you always want to go like, well, have you not been honest with me prior to that? But um, let's be really open together this morning. This is hard stuff. This is really, really hard. There's a lot of things that Jesus will command us to do that are actually fun to do, right? When Jesus says, feed the poor, uh, in many ways, we, we rally to that as a church. We rally to that as Christians. That's a beautiful thing. I thank God for all the stovetop stuffing that you guys are bringing. Our goal is to have 3,000 boxes of stove, stovetop stuffing to help and bless Union Mission for all their distributions around Southern West Virginia. Beautiful, beautiful thing. I even think that memorizing the book of Leviticus would be easier than forgiving somebody who sinned against us. Seriously. It's like, hey, Jesus, you want me to memorize the book of Leviticus? No problem. But you want me to forgive? That is hard. Think about these verses. Think about how hard this is. Matthew 5, 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Romans 12, 18. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live peace with everyone. Ephesians 4.31, get rid of all bitterness and rage and anger and harsh words and slander. Colossians 3.13, bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. Hebrews 12.14 and 15, make every effort to live in peace with everyone. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. 
Forgiveness is unlocking the door to set someone free and realizing that you were the prisoner. So how do we do this? Right? We, we all would agree, those of us who are followers of Jesus, even the, even the world would agree. This is, this is usually, this, this is a good thing. Forgiveness is a good thing. But how in the world do we do it? It's hard. I want to give you five keys to help you unlock, to help you break free from the cage of bitterness. Here's the first key. They move quickly. See the person who hurt you as a human being created in God's image. See the person who hurt you as a human being created in God's image. This key really helps me, continues to help me, as I look at other people and recognize that they are created in the image of God. Here's how we say it at Bible Center in our member statement of faith. God intentionally created man and woman in his image sharing in all aspects of his spiritual, relational, rational, moral, emotional, and royal image, making us of all creation most like him and most capable of glorifying him even in our physical bodies. As image bearers of God, each person is loved, designed with beauty, created with a purpose, and inherently and eternally valuable. All people reflect aspects of God's nature and are be, to be treated with dignity. See the person who has hurt you as a human being created in God's image. Not only were they created in the image of God, but Jesus came to save them. 1 John 2, 2, Jesus Christ not only died for our sins, but he's the propitiation, he's the sacrifice for the sins of the whole world. You say, man, how does that work? I have no idea. I just know that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. So when you're engaging with someone who's hurt you or you're engaging with someone at the checkout counter or that waiter or waitress in the restaurant, right? Seeing them as a soul for whom Christ died has a profound effect on the way you engage, on the way that you respond. Imagine how it would change our lives if we only believed this. Number two, the second key. Let God be their judge. You take care of you. Let God be their judge. You take care of you. Has anybody ever hurt you and you feel as though they got away with it? Right? Like there's been no justice, right? Somebody has... Maybe it's something small and almost insignificant or something really, really big. And you feel as though they were able to ride off into the night, escape to Fiji and drink Mai Tais on the beach, and no one is ever going to be able to hold them accountable, right? You're like, how does this even work? In your heart, something right now is boiling in some of you because you're like, Matt, they deserve justice. I agree. I agree. Actually, God agrees. Do you know that that boiling feeling of justice, God has that infinitely more than you do? Our God is a God of justice. Think about what he promises in Romans chapter 12, verse 17. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I, not might, but will repay. 
Hebrews 10, 26 through 31, if we deliberately keep on sinning after we've received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. For we know him who said, it is mine to avenge, not I might repay, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Let God be their judge. You take care of you. When you and I stand on judgment day, we're not going to stand and be able to point to everybody else. We're gonna have our audience with God. And so that's why it's so important. Think about how it would change your life. How it could change your world? How it could change your faith? How it could change your family if you lived with that knowledge that yes, God is just, but you're gonna take care of you. The third key, what's the third key? It's simply this. Try to sympathize with the suffering they've experienced in life. Try to sympathize with the suffering they've experienced in life. God sympathizes. God doesn't excuse sin, but he has empathy. We find in the book of Psalm, Psalm 103 verse 13, as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. If you have the old King James, the, the version I grew up on, which is a great translation, that translation says he remembers that we are but dust. He remembers that we are but dust. After a service one time when I was an evangelist, I had a kid ask me, Pastor, what is but dust? It's like, well... That's not exactly what we're talking about here. Ask your parents. Matthew 9, 36, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Hebrews 4, 14 and 15, therefore, since we have such a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Throughout the pandemic, I've appreciated Pastor John. He's in our service, or he was, I guess he's left, but uh, he, he, he uh, not only is he a escape artist, he's a great executive pastor. And Pastor John has reminded all of us on staff throughout the pandemic to have empathy on one another about how we're all hurting. None of us are okay. None of us are okay. If I've heard him say it once, our staff, we've heard him say it a thousand times. None of us are okay. We've been in this thing now, what, two years? Going on two years? And, and so our first responders aren't okay. Our teachers aren't okay. Our students aren't okay. Our, our healthcare professionals are not okay. Really, most likely you are not okay. If you really did some inventory of yourself, many of us are, we've just never been through a pandemic before. We're not okay. And so John has reminded us that hurting people hurt people. Hurting people hurt people whoever it was who hurt you. I'm not trying to justify their sin. I'm not trying to justify what they did to you. And again, as I said at the beginning of the message, there's a whole multifaceted conversation about this. But I am trying to say that when you see that person having been affected by suffering, maybe in their childhood, 
maybe by some tragedy or trauma in their life. It at least gives you empathy. You're able to carve out the room for empathy when you recognize the suffering that they've experienced. Uh, my grandpa, my mom's dad, um, was a rascal. He uh, lived in Allen Creek. Some of you may know him if I mentioned his name. There's a guy in our church who was in the first service. And one day we went out to lunch and he told me that my grandpa died owing him $3,000. I was like, don't look at me, bud. I'm not, I'm not going to pay you back for something my grandpa did. My grandpa was a rascal, all right? And uh, my gra- grandpa um, really, really struggled, struggled with alcohol. My grandpa would get drunk and beat my grandma, beat his kids. It was horrible. And so I grew up hating my grandpa, right, to some degree, right, at least being fearful of him. I, I remember once when he, he came to my fifth birthday party, slammed. I don't know why I remember that, but it's just, just kind of in there, right? The sense of justice. Like, what are you doing, man? And uh, I remember my dad, like, watching him, making sure he didn't come around as we were trying to protect my grandma one night when he had beat my grandmother, and, and it was just horrible. And so I grew up with just this sense of, like, just justice. I'm going to one day tell him what, what do I really think. And so one day, one day that, that day came. I was a freshman in college. I went to Bible college. And uh, I'd had like, you know, one semester of Bible. And so I thought I like, knew everything there was about the Bible. And so I put my big old study Bible under my arm and I went and knocked on my grandpa's door. I hadn't seen him in years. Knocked on the door. I can still remember what he was wearing. He was wearing like a, one of those white shirts, you know, kind of like belly almost hanging out. And he's standing at the door. And I took my Bible and man, I just laid into him on the front porch. Just like, man, what kind of grandpa are you? What kind of dad are you? Low down, good for nothing. He was a big dude. And he looked at me and he said, I'm gonna give you five seconds to get off my porch and never come back. That's the memory I have of my grandpa. Now, my grandpa on my dad's side was great. But thinking back to watching my mom over the last couple years before he died, my mom began to go visit him in the hospital. My mom began to go pray with him and hold his hand. My grandpa found Christ, and I still watched my mom, even though that Jesus had forgiven him, just watching my mom struggle with some of that. And I asked mom one day, mom, how could you do this? How could you do this? How could you forgive this man? And mom said, remembering what he experienced as a kid gives me empathy to forgive him as an adult. That's next level. That's whole next level. Try to sympathize with the suffering they've experienced and watch what God does in your life. Number four, the fourth key. Recognize the role that the forces of evil have played in their life. Recognize the force, the role that the forces of evil have played in their life. Truly understanding evil is the only way to forgive the unforgivable. Here a while back, I was listening to a book on Audible, and I found that actually to be a really, really helpful way for those of us who are Audible uh, learners, auditory learners, this book, The Way of the Dragon and the Way of the Lamb, we'll put it on our social media. It's not the primary recommended book this week, but it's primarily for church leaders. And so uh, it may not be beneficial and helpful uh, to you if that's not your interest. But um, this book really, really helped me. And in chapter five was called The Way of Love. And I'm walking the dog on my morning walk and chapter five blew my mind. As I'm listening to it, I went right back and ordered the book just so I could mark it all up. And I want to read to you a little bit in a moment from what John Perkins said about forgiveness. Now, John Perkins, this is him. He lived during the time of, uh, was rising to influence around the time of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. He's actually still alive. He's 91 years old. 
And Dr. John Perkins had the same heart for justice as Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, he wasn't the speaker that King was, so he felt like God was calling him to do Bible studies. He felt like he could change the landscape of social justice, particularly uh, racism, through Bible studies, helping people, one, come to faith in Christ, and two, those who were professing Christians actually learn about what the Bible teaches. There was all sorts of crazy teaching that fed into the prejudice and racism even of our country. And so Dr. John Perkins is one of my heroes. But I read or listened and then read in the book, listen to this story. February 7th, 1970, John led a nonviolent march in protest of the racial inequality in Mendenhall, Mississippi. A group of students who participated in the march left to return home and were followed by police. Once they crossed over the line separating Simpson County from Rankin County, a police car pulled one of the vans over. All the students were ordered out of the van and were arrested and taken to the county jail. Doug Humer, who had been driving the van of students, was taken in a police car by himself and was beaten the entire way to the jail by Frank Fames, the officer who had pulled them over. Now, just to hit pause there for a minute, I appreciate what Lex Williamson, one of our security leaders and longtime Charleston police, has to say. Nobody despises a bad cop more than a good cop. I really, really appreciate that. And so what I'm talking about is a specific instance at a specific time. But let's think about what they went through. The students were kicked, stomped, beaten with blackjacks and billy clubs at the police station. Their nonviolence was met with violence. After the students had been arrested, the driver of the other van contacted John to tell him what had happened. He quickly connected with the other protesters and set out for the jail, even though they were worried about another ambush. When they arrived at the police station, a highway patrolman met them in the parking lot, told them to wait outside for a sheriff. Instead, a dozen officers poured out of the station to arrest them. From this point on, five of the deputy sheriffs and 12 more highway patrolmen, that's 17 men, beat them within an inch of their lives. In and out of consciousness, Perkins recalls seeing a lot of blood and remembers being forced to clean it up while they beat him some more. As I'm listening to this, the blood is boiling, like vengeance, like this is wrong. I have lived such an easy life compared to what some experienced. But that wasn't John's reply. John's reaction was this, and I quote, they were like savages, the, the, like some horror out of the night. And I can't forget their faces, so twisted with hate. It was like looking at demons. Hate did that to them. Like Martin Luther King before him, Perkins saw how defiled these human beings had become. Evil power had destroyed them. There was no question that they had been dehumanized. But John says this, I couldn't hate back because of what evil had done to them. And he goes on to say, that night I prayed that God would help me preach a gospel so powerful that would even forgive what those men did to me. That's next level forgiveness. But I believe it's crucial for us to truly forgive, seeing how horrible evil really is. See, that's what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 5. Be sober, be, be watchful, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walks about seeking whom he may devour. We are not just fighting. We're not fighting against one another. We are fighting against the forces of evil. That's what Tony Dungy said. Tony Dungy recently wrote this. Today we are a divided country, 
And Satan is laughing at us because that is exactly what he wants. Dysfunction, mistrust, and hatred help his kingdom flourish. We have to realize that we are not fighting against other people. We're fighting against Satan and his kingdom of spiritual darkness. Paul says something similar in Ephesians 4.26. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Think about how it would change your perspective. Think about how it might help you to forgive if you realize that, yes, this person has a flesh, and yes, this person did something to me that hurt me, but ultimately, the forces of evil are at work. I'm not saying they're Satan-possessed. I'm not saying they're demon-possessed. But can we agree the forces of evil are alive and well in this world, and they are orchestrating everything in their power to cause us to hurt one another and to hurt the heart of God? Imagine what it would do if we saw that. Lastly, number five, in closing, remind yourself, if God can forgive me, I can forgive them. If God can forgive me of my sin, I can forgive their sin. So we've talked in this message about suffering, how people who've hurt us have been affected by suffering, and we've been affected by suffering and hurt other people. We've talked about how that the forces of evil have caused others to hurt us, and the forces of evil have even at times caused us to hurt other people. But what I want to close this message about is about how sin has affected other people and how sin in our hearts has also affected us. In a moment, the band's going to play a song, but I was thinking like, what would Jesus say? How would Jesus want us to, to remember this message? And I think about his words on the cross. Before any of us had asked forgiveness, before anybody had ever sought salvation, think about what Jesus said. Remember his words? Father, what were his next words? Forgive them, for they know not what they do. Father, forgive them. Our Savior gave his life to die on an old rugged cross, to be buried in the earth that he had created, and to rise from the dead the third day to save our souls even before we had asked. And there's not one of us who deserve the salvation that Jesus gives. Today, if you've not put your faith in Christ, my prayer is that you will turn to Jesus and realize that there is no sin from which Jesus cannot save you. There is no sin from which Jesus cannot forgive you. You say, well, man, I'm gonna wait and clean myself up and then I'll come to Jesus. That's not what Jesus wants. You'll be waiting your entire life. You'll never clean yourself up. Jesus said, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Just come as you are, but God won't leave you that way. Come as you are and watch what Jesus will do in your life. He'll transform you and one day he'll restore you. But Christian, if you think about this matter of forgiveness and bitterness, think about it this way. Jesus told a parable in Matthew 25, and I'm gonna retell that same parable for a modern context. Let's just say, for instance, that um, I borrow some money from you, okay? I borrow a little sum of money, like $10 million. No big deal. I borrow 10 million bucks from you. And you say, Matt, okay, I'll let you, I'll float you a loan for 10 million bucks, but I'm gonna need that money back in a year. 
And I'm like, okay, understandable. So a year passes and I come back to you and I'm like, you know, it's been a tough year, the pandemic effects and, you know, government and gas prices and groceries have really gone up. I can't pay you that $10 or $10 million back. I'm so sorry. And I beg you for forgiveness and you forgive me out of the kindness of your heart. Oh, I'm so thankful. Oh, you forgave me $10 million. Well, then let's just say after that, uh, Pastor Ryan Bandy, he's our high school pastor. Pastor Ryan Bandy comes to me and he's like, Matt, can I borrow 10 bucks? And I'm like, sure, Ryan, you can borrow 10 bucks. You know, I know these kids take all your money anyway. Here, here's, here's 10 bucks. And uh, so I give Ryan $10 and I say, Ryan, I'm gonna need that back next week. And Ryan's like, no problem, no big deal. And so a week passes and Ryan comes to me and he's like, hey, um, Matt, you know, ever since the pandemic and gas prices and the price of groceries have really gone up and these kids are eating a lot more pizza than I thought they would, I can't pay you back that $10. Will you forgive me of that $10? And I look at Ryan and I say, Pastor Ryan, I will not. I will not. How dare you ask me to forgive you of $10? As a matter of fact, don't ever talk to me again. I'm going to call the police and put you in jail because you did not fulfill your end of the bargain. What would you say to me? You'd say, Matt, one, you're an idiot. And then number two, you'd say, how can you not forgive him of something so little when you've been forgiven of something so much? And my question is, Christian, how can you continue to hold a grudge? How can you continue to hate? How can you continue to allow bitterness to eat you from the inside out every single day when Jesus has forgiven you of so much? You see, God invites us today to see the person who hurt you as a human being created in God's image. Let God be their judge. You take care of you. Try to sympathize with the suffering they've experienced in life. Recognize the role that the forces of evil played to bring this about. And then remind yourself, if God can forgive my sin, I can forgive them their sin. Forgiveness is unlocking the door to set someone free and realizing you were the prisoner. For more information, visit us at BibleCenterChurch.com or check us out on social media.